You're tuning in to Neurodiversity, a podcast for neurodivergent adults and the people who love them. Please note that this podcast does not substitute medical or professional diagnosis and advice. Welcome back, lovers and friends, and happy pride to you. Mm, a happy pride it has been. But before I get into that and before I let you dig into this episode, um, it's been a little minute since I've recorded last. And since then, we have experienced in our nation, the USA, a number of domestic terrorist attacks in the form of mass shootings. And I just want to take a moment to honor the lives that have been lost I am keeping um, just the family, the friends, all the victims and my thoughts, you know, and my prayers and my wishes, my manifestations, right? Um, And also all of us who have to witness this sort of violence. And as we know, trauma can also be what's the word I'm looking for? I can't even think of it right now. Um, like vicarious, it can be vicarious, meaning that you don't necessarily have to experience it firsthand, but you can witness something. Um, allegedly, according to the DSM, like you can't have trauma from witnessing things on the TV. Um, I'm going to disagree with that. And uh, anyway, so you can have vicarious trauma from witnessing things. Also just hearing like hard stories, difficult trauma, traumatic stories, that kind of thing. And especially if you see people like you constantly um, be on the receiving end of this very overt violence and very overt response, braces response to the violence. So I am here with you. I'm feeling all the feels with you. Um, also for anyone with ovaries, uterus, anyone who may bear children or may not want to bear children, um, but their body has that option. I'm with you. I feel you. Um, I honestly just don't even know what to say. Uh, other than we got to really, uh, abolish capitalism, y'all. <laughs> I feel like that's that's it. That that's that is the main thing um, that needs to happen. And a good friend of mine, um, Renee Seals, over at Embodied Astrology, she really said something that resonated with me, which was that you know Roe was not. It was never about bodily autonomy and women's rights. It was about privacy, and our right to privacy. And while we do value privacy, um, yeah, we really do. I, I, I do. I really want some laws that are very explicit um, in just the human right to choose, right? The human right to have agency over your body. Um, and so with that, uh, Renee was saying that things may get worse, you know, in order to make them better, in order for us to actually get the laws that truly represent our values and the 
society that we want to create, um, you know, things may get worse so that we can get it right. And so I'm really leading into the optimism. And at the same time, I'm fucking pissed off, right? Um, this particular ruling has impacted me in a way um, that I guess just upsets me. Like it really upsets me. And I feel like my right to choose um, and make some decisions for my own life uh, in the here and now was taken away from me. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to respond accordingly, but I don't know. It just sucks. It just sucks to, yeah, just not have your, not have agency. I don't even know how else to say it. (laughs) Anyway, I'm not going to dwell on that. Um, but I hope you all are not only being loud and fighting for justice or, you know, advocating, those things are important. Um, but also remember that you are resting. Also remember to take care of your mental health. That means, you know, signing out of Twitter for a couple of days, um, shutting down the news for a couple of days, taking a mental health day, like whatever you need to do, do that for you. Um, As this work isn't, um, it's not, it's not get quick, right? It's not a quick scheme and it's not, it's, it's, it's really about the endurance. And so I feel like the only way we can endure is to make sure that we take care of our needs and that we find joy in any little moments that we can, you know, whether that is in a flower or a rainbow or a hug or a smile or a TikTok cute video, whatever it is, just find a little bit of joy. And I firmly believe that as we find pieces of joy, they add up and they fuel us to continue this work. So pride, happy pride to everybody. It's been a wonderful pride. Um, I've had a lot of fun. I have been expanding my community and connections in queer relationships. And that has been super awesome for me. Um, And also during pride during the month of June, your girl became an autism spectrum disorder clinical specialist. Hey, hey, it's a celebration. Clap, clap, bravo. Nah, I'm lame. <laughs> but no, anyway, um, yeah, so I am now certified to, um, I guess, have more specialty in treating and working with autistic populations as well as ADHD populations, though I don't have that specific cert. I've done a lot of work around that. Um, yeah, so I'm super excited to really, um, put this title into use and I'm working on some new offerings that I will speak about when they're done. Um, and also just with the title, like it is autism disorder, clinical specialist. Um, I don't think autism is a disorder. I do think it makes people disabled and I actually might make a disability. A dis episode. <laughs> I might make an episode, um, maybe explaining a little bit between disorder and disabled. So I like to just call myself an autism specialist, um, an autism clinical specialist. 
Um, that's usually how I'll refer to myself. That's not the legitimate title, um, but it is what it is. Anyway, without further ado, here is part two of The Great Unmasking. I hope you enjoy. Let's jump into the episode. Um, last time I gave you part one of The Great Unmasking um, and the journey or, or the incident or series of incidences that really led to me to go get diagnosed. Um, so I want to take a moment to like in the... I keep going back to 2021 because like timelines are hard for me. Like I just, I think in general, you know, memory, we mix things up. Um, But yeah, so timelines are hard. And I want to say like November 2020, I wasn't marketing it. But what I was doing was I I built my website. So I designed my own website um, with no previous web design experience really other than like hours on hours on hours of my space. I guess I got close to my 10,000 hours very early on. <laughs> um, lots of my space like HTML and um, also I, I well that was more like um, I was in like an art program in college or not in college in high school um, but that was more Photoshop related not so much web design. Um, but anyway um, so I did that myself and just shameless plug, like I designed my own graphics um, and just do my own sort of creative uh, pursuits regarding websites and social media and the podcast, um, the music on this podcast is not mine. And on my website, I have some stock images on there, um, at least at the moment. Um, but outside from that, like a girl is a one-man band and yeah i got skills so if you need someone to outsource some things to i am looking for work so hit my line um all right so we wrapped up things um with me and nikki in our last episode so you know we leave the whole foods market he's taking me home he takes me to my best friend's house um, so I go hang out with my bestie Tasia and her family. And so we get there and, um, her partner, John, like he comes down to, um, like to, to, to get me so I could go up to their apartment and, and like, I, I'm just like, I'm just blank, right? Like social norms. I don't remember them. Like all the things we're supposed to do. I just like, I can't focus really on anything so like I kind of like told Nikki bye I think it was pretty like quick and awkward and like I forgot to like introduce them and like things like that that's things that like popped into my head like later on um but yeah like so like those kinds of things I really wasn't thinking about and as I as I went into Tasia's home like I I started to soften a bit like I felt I felt safer I did feel safer However, like, I couldn't shake, like, my nervous system dysregulation. So, like, my body was just, like, keyed up and was on edge. Like, I I just, like, couldn't fully calm myself. Like, even, even when I thought maybe I was, like, kind of calm, like, for some reason there was fireworks going off at the end of July, beginning of August in L.A. Like, hella fireworks. I don't know why. Um, but like, they were scary. Like, 
I was like, I would go off and I would just jump. I would be startled. And like, Deja like, wow. She's like, what? Like, you're like, what's going on? <laughs> I get I really cared that it really scared you. But like, it really did. And like, consciously, like, I'm like, oh, like, this is a mass overreaction to like the sound outside. But like, my body, it felt like an assault. Like, it felt like I was under attack. And I was like, oh, oh, oh what's going on? Um, so yeah, just like very keyed up. And I just really couldn't like do things on my own over the course of those like couple of days. I mean, I did it, but it was like, well, I did some of the things, but it was really hard. Like, yeah, I did dress myself. Um, but even just like, yeah, getting dressed became really difficult. Like putting on my shoes and like tying them up became difficult. Like making any sort of decision um, to mobilize was very, very difficult. And I don't really know how to put that in words. Um, if you know, you know. If you don't. Uh, maybe at some point in time there'll be some data on this podcast around that to break it down but for now I gotta take my word for it um but like you know I'm I'm in like the ADHD autism spaces on social media and it's funny like this one person said like oh when they when they're stuck and like it's really hard for them to move like they call it they call it buffering it's their buffering period so (laughs) I was buffering hella. Like, the Wi-Fi was down in that bitch. Like, that bitch be in my brain. Um, It was just, like, not working. Um, But I was also, like, supposed to go out, like, and go do things on my own. Like, I have, like, other, like, associates and friends in the city. And I was, like, supposed to, like, meet up with some people. Like, I really wanted to go to some pole shooties out there. Like, maybe do some yoga out there. And, like, it was supposed to be a bit of an adventure. But I couldn't. Like, I just, I couldn't. I couldn't get myself to move. I couldn't, like, logistically figure out like where things were located and like how much time it would take me or roughly like how much money it would cost me to like get there and that kind of thing um so that led to me just kind of just like sitting like on the couch um which is something that I can do really often like even in my house like I spend a good amount of time sitting around on the couch um I'm on the couch right now, but I'm working. <laughs> but but I need a lot of downtime. I really do need a lot of downtime to just sort through thoughts, to calm my body. Um, it's a necessity for me. And it was unfortunate or it felt unfortunate because I was on vacation. And then aside from my normal downtime, I needed all this extra downtime, right? Um, and so I was just feeling like really, really self-conscious about that. And the thing about the subconsciousness is that, like, yeah, like, I, I, I realize that, like, I'm failing to kind of interact with people in um, an air quote pro-social way or, like, a typical way. Um, like, I'm so conscious of it that then I start to have, like, all of these, like, metacognitions and, like, meta emotions and I'm feeling so much shame and so much embarrassment because I know that this isn't what's expected of me. And I know that I've been able to meet those expectations in the past. And because I can't now in the moment, it feels, I don't actually have a word. I don't have a word for what that feeling is exactly. Um, But it is, it is demoralizing and it is just very, very hard to wrestle with. Um. So, yeah, it was just, like, super hard to, like, make conversation, like, you know, whether we were in the house or just, like, out to eat, like, we kind of just, like, ate in silence a bit, like, John would, like, tell his stories and things like that, and, like, I would try to, like, engage, but, like, like my imagination was offline, because like, he, like, he, like, asked me, like, hypothetical questions, like, what would you do, and blah, 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 and I'm like, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't know, 
you know, I wouldn't, I, that wouldn't happen. It didn't happen. I don't know. <laughs> um, like, um, or just like that, that, um, what is the word for it? I can't think of what the word is, but just like that return of communication and that flow of how communication and conversation flows back and forth between people. Uh, I couldn't really keep that up. Um, and it was, it was, it was pretty agonizing um, to notice that. And so then, yeah, the only thing in my mind was these self-conscious thoughts of being like, oh my God, like what's wrong with you? Like something, something's wrong with you. Like I remember I had this moment in the mirror where I'm just like looking at myself through tears and I'm just like, wow, like you're really cute. Like you're pretty, but like you're boring. You're so boring. There's nothing inside of you. Like you're empty. Like you like don't believe in anything, which I think we all know that's not true. <laughs> like, you know, like, like you don't stand for anything or like you don't have like opinions or you don't know who you are and things like that. And, you know, I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg, but like there was this comment about like people like not knowing who they were in relation to like a reality TV show or whatever. And, um, and then I just remember like, internalizing that and it was so personal like my rsd that rejection sensitive dysphoria like it was just like kicking in so hard everything felt like an attack i was like oh my god i don't know who i am i don't know who i am um like for you astrological uh fellow astro nerds out there um saturn was um directly opposed my son um, since like the first time when I was born, which like, makes me feel like, damn, like what was I going through when I was an infant? <laughs> like <laughs> I was born going through it in an identity crisis. Huh? Um, but like Saturn was like directly opposing my son. Um, I have a first house son, so I'm very much about me and myself and my autonomy and my legacy and what I like to do. Um, yeah. And, uh, Saturn is staying in my seventh house, like around relationships and things like that. So, I think also just having like that self other polarity and then it being directly opposed by Saturn too. Like it was just like, it was real, it was intense. It was hardcore. And I was like, oh my God, like, yeah, I have no idea. And like, it's funny now that I've lived almost like another year since then. Um, I've, I've had countless of just like conversations or just through reading and realizing that so many people don't know who they are. And so many of us are trying to find ourselves. Um, and, and so I've, I've been able to like really gain and internalize compassion around that uh, and even like invite in curiosity. So, you know, well, who could I be? Who do I want to be? Or maybe what would this feel like? And if I don't know, like, well, let's just go try it and see. And um, that's that's been very, very liberating. So uh, less of a judgment. Um, if you do know who you are and you are steadfast in who you are, um, I think that that is something to really be proud of and also just acknowledge like as a privilege that a lot of people don't have um, as they are, you know, battling very, they're battling traumas of their own intergenerational traumas, uh, systemic impact, all kinds of things, right? Um and so, like, <laughs> I'm thinking just kind of, I, I made notes and I'm not reading them in order because who, why would I do that? Why would, why would I even do that? <laughs> um, but, yeah, then I was there, like, I was having, like, just a lot of crying spells, which I was able to kind of maintain and control. 
Um, I think it's interesting, like when, when I talk to people or read or, or, or read um, the discourse within the neurodivergent community, when we talk about meltdowns. Um, and a lot of times people say like they're uncontrollable. And I do agree. I agree to a point, at least for me, like in my experience, not anyone else's. Um, there are times for me where it's just absolutely like I have no control over this. Um, but I think what's more so is that like the effort to control it is like almost insurmountable. So like I can, I might be able to like grasp it in like flashes or like waves. And so like, I might be able to pull myself together for like 20 minutes if I'm at work while a bunch of classes are coming in. Um, so I can check them in and then when everyone's in their class and like just sobbing again, like my tears were coming down or whatever. So like it was similar, like I generally like wasn't like just like crying out and about like in the common spaces, but like in the bathrooms or like at nighttime when I was like not sleeping <laughs> uh, or, you know, I think there was there was a time like at the last day I was there when I did just kind of like have a little breakdown. And for me, though, too, I think part of that ability to have that seemingly external control is, is a trauma response more than anything. Um, just kind of growing up, I wasn't really allowed to express any of my emotions, um, especially ones that came with tears or that was loud. Because, um, you know, oftentimes it was just like, if I was upset about something that I air quote shouldn't have been upset about, then like it was disrespectful or like, if it was annoying, it was like, ah, oh, well, you better stop crying before I give you something to cry about. Um, you know, just things like that or like, you know, putting amount of time on how long I should be upset about something. Like, um, I really encourage, I think, well, I want to take a step back and I think people were doing the best they could with the knowledge that they had. Um, but mo- moving forward, I really want to encourage parents, um, to let your children feel their emotions um, the way that they need to. And if it's inconvenient or if it's annoying to you, I mean, there are strategies around that as far as like, all right, well, I, um, I, I see you're still upset. I also need to get this done and it's hard for me to focus or, you know, I need to relax and it's hard for me to focus. Um, could you finish in this area? Or like, you know, maybe as the parent, you remove yourself from the situation um, or, you know, helping your child know, okay, well, you're really upset. I get it. We have things to do. Or we have to go somewhere. Um, helping them to create a container and letting them know that we can open this container back up. And we don't have to stuff these feelings away or hide them or get rid of them. Um, but it would be helpful for us to put them in a box right now so that we can, like, go get ice cream or, like, whatever it is that you actually need to do. Um, and I and I know this isn't, like, foolproof or, like, it's going to always work. Um these are things that we can start to try and start to implement so that we don't um, indoctrinate shame into our children and that we don't indoctrinate them to be emotionally um, unavailable or reserved and just internalize all of those feelings. Um, So that's my, that's my mental health little little rants there, my parental guidance rant. And before any of you come for me about having children, you do not have to have children to want conceptualize good parenting, to be a helping professional that helps the children and their parents' parenting. Um, actually, when I was in my grad program, that was my track, was child and adolescence. And so I spent my early years as a mental health professional working with children 
And one of the main reasons that I switched to adults was because I was really tired of working with their parents. Um, there was just a lot of like, fix my kid, they need to do this, I don't need to look at that, that kind of thing. Um, and, and so it was, it was just, it was exhausting. It was really exhausting. Um, so, yeah. Um, else? what else do, do I want to share with this trip? Okay, so like, uh, I told you like I was supposed to go places or whatever and I just couldn't do it. So I just rolled with my homies and so we had to go to a baby shower and um, <laughs> we go to this baby shower and there was this man there and he was so fine y'all he was so fine like he was given like Morris chestnut but today <laughs> I don't know if he really looked like him but like his skin was just it was amazing his teeth were great like I was feeling it I was feeling it um but like obviously like I was not in like the mental state to like talk to anybody for real for real and um like you know I noticed him I noticed me I'm like, he gave me like a little, little like eyebrow like raise or something, something like that, which I assumed was flirting. So then like I did it back, but like, I think I did it wrong. <laughs> I don't know what happened to this day, but like I made a face back and I'm just like, yeah, like, I mean, you know, that's what I'm doing. Right. Um, and then he was just like really put off. Like he made a face like, like a, oh, oh no, oh, like, oh, okay. That's what you want face. And, like, just, like, didn't, like, really talk or look at me again afterwards. And, like, clearly there was some sort of disconnect. But, again, hard for me to talk. Like, just really having a lot of self-conscious thoughts at that time. Like, I wasn't about to go back and, like, try to, to repair that situation. Um, but, you know, maybe I'll run into the hottie in the future and we'll see what happens. Probably not. But never say never. <laughs> um... But I think that's pretty much it. I think that's really much how I want to wrap up the the great the great unmasking part two. Um, I think just lastly, like one thing was just like I didn't know I didn't know like what I needed to you know air quote be normal or at least that get back to my baseline right and to calm down, and and, and that in itself was just very stressful. Like I didn't know how to to chill this out. Um, and so now I know in hindsight, like I needed to be alone. And so like I flew home, um, which costs a lot of money and shout out to the people who helped me do that. Um, but, you know, in hindsight, like I probably could have just stayed at an Airbnb for a night or two um, and just calmed down and then like continue with my vacation. Like I really needed some alone time um, and I needed some familiarity. So um that's something too I need to think about more when um, packing is to make sure that I have something that reminds me of home. And so I do want to get into a bit of like neurodiversity and travel and also just like um, a chronic illness and chronic pain and travel um, at some point in time. And, 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 and also just like, yeah, like with me having such a difficulty sleeping. So yeah, for, like, the last two nights that I was there, like, I probably slept, like, a couple hours each night, maybe, and, like, not consecutively, um, and I used all my coping skills, like, sleep podcasts, you know, music, meditation, like, breathing, and just, like, nothing, it wasn't, it wasn't stopping just, like, my head from just, like, assaulting me over and over and over again, and my brain couldn't turn off, um, 
I think part of that too comes back to just like travel needs that I'm noticing now and especially like when switching time zones. Um, I, I just can't I just can't jump on any flight and just be cool and roll with things. Like I really do need a, a more tailored plan in order for me to enjoy my time. Um, yeah. So lastly, I just wanted to say thank you to Tasia, um, to John, and even baby John. It's so funny, like uh <laughs> like I think it was like my last day or second last day, like like baby John was having a hard time and I my RSD was just kicking in so hard. I thought even like the baby wasn't messing with me. I was like, Oh my god, he hates me. Even though like we were homies like before, but like he was having a hard day and like wanted his mama and I am not her. <laughs> as cool as I am, I am not her. Um but Yes, thank you, friends, for being there for me, for supporting me. Um, you know, Teja, for just just being present and holding space and like not trying to fix things, but giving me good dairy free cakes to try and taking me to the pedal boats that I really wanted to go see and just holding me and letting me know that things would be okay. Um, I love you forever and I got your back, girl. All right, y'all, until next time. All right, so I'm back postscript to clarify some things or to uh, write my write my oversights, right? Um, so I, while I make an intention to be optimistic or really to find the optimism, while I, while that is an intention in my life, I live on the edge of cynicism. That's just that's just me. That's who I am. All right. And so it's come to my attention, like in the um, opening of this episode, you know, I said, you know, we, we, we have to abolish capitalism, you know, we really have to, uh, I don't want to say deconstruct, um, because the, the idea of like reform around something that's inherently racist, whether that's capitalism or the institution of policing in the United States, um, it sounds absolutely ludicrous to me. Like, how, how do you transform something that was inherently built upon that, built upon a system or a structure? You can't. You have to, you have to pick something different, right? Um, so anyway, um, while, while I stand by that, and I do think that at the core of, of, of these, um, this gender-based violence is capitalism. Um, and, and I say that too, um, if, if you're curious, well, why? Well, how did you get there? Um, so when you look at, let's just look at the states. Let's look at the, the red states that are um, republicanly led, who are allegedly pro-life. Um, so, so their their words say they're pro-life. They care about um, children and their right to life, right? But then, if you look at those states, um, generally they have the least amount of social services, right? That are not not by opinion, but by actual data that has been collected. Social services can tremendously reduce abortions far more than abortion bans, right? So that's that's like literal science, right? Or literal observation that we can make. Um, so they have lowest social services. They usually have the lowest um, like literacy rates, um, lowest uh, access to um, healthcare and things of that nature. So to say you are pro-life, but then like not actually like give a fuck about the person's actual life is ludicrous to me, right? So 
actions speak so so much louder than words you can you can talk out the side of your neck about whatever all day long but like if your words aren't lining up with the actual actions and the impact of those actions in real life then fuck what you're saying bro fuck what you're saying and i'm not buying it i'm not buying it <laughs> so anyway um i do believe that i do believe that capitalism is at the core of this all right so if we force people to have families that they don't want that's going to keep them in poverty if we force people keep force families to have or we force people to have families they don't want you know that's going to just take up their time in the day right they don't have time to research things they might not have time to um to really even care about the issue so there's a concept of called that's called compassion fatigue so that's something we talk about in therapy where compassion fatigue is just like you're just running out of space to really care you may be running out of space to to really hold that empathy right um, so when people are saddled, you know, whether it's with families, um, or, you know, they have to just work all the time to support their families and they don't, they don't have the space to, to use our greatest weapon, which in my opinion, our greatest weapon is imagination. It's creativity. Like all this shit that we live in, people thought of, they made up. Now there are people in positions of power and, and so they got to then really, um, really execute their visions, right? And so like right now, uh, in the United States, and I'm sure in other parts of the world, but I'm going to speak to what I know, um, in the United States, the, the masses don't have power, all right? So we have a democracy that doesn't even reflect the people. It does not reflect the popular vote. So, you know, we can, we can, we can call it a democracy if we want to, but, you know, if that makes you feel better at night, but I would argue to differ. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, so like, you know, we the the the, the people don't have the power here uh, as much as we like to say that we do. We don't. And so but we do have imagination and we do have creativity. And the thing about power and the thing about life is that the only constant is that things change. And so as there's major shifts happening in our world and on our planet right now. Um, and so you can look back throughout history, empires fall. You know, the greatest empire in one point in time was Rome. And it was around longer than the US. I actually don't remember the longevity of Rome. Um, but but it, it's not the greatest empire anymore. Things change and, and, and power structures shift. But you know, there's the saying of luck is when preparation meets opportunity, right? So we as the people need to be prepared with ideas with strategies with creation um, and the way we do that you know is to rest is to play is to do like background processing isn't to be in community with friends but how the fuck can you do that when you have to work three jobs just to support you or just to support your like three person family it's absolutely insane you cannot so whew, let me take a breath it's actually not even insane like when you think about it from a lens of imperialism and a lens of socioeconomic warfare it makes a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense it's just not serving us and and a lot of times we're so caught up and don't get me wrong because i'm a part of this in the sense of like i am fighting for these things and there are things that need to be um fought for but we're so caught up in in, in race relations you know we're so caught up in um uh not gender well yeah also like, like gender relations right you know we're so caught up in religious relations right that we then don't have the compassion or might not even have um just the vision you know we, we have these blinders on right now the vision to see the core issue that is a war 
on class. It is a war on how much money you have. And it has always been. So if you go back and you look to the history of the United States and you can go um, listen to uh, Ibram Kendi talks about this, I believe, in his How to Be an Anti-Racism, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And then, oh gosh, what is the, oh, the New Jim Crow, New Jim Crow, um, who I cannot, I cannot think of the author's name right now. Um, but I, I believe they talk about this too in their writings. But you, you can look back to the context um, of, of, of the creation of the Western world under colonialism and you can see that it was always about class and that it started to shift about race when the poor began to unite when indentured indentured servants began to unite with former slaves and and, and they really start to revolt <laughs> master said oh no 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 so like how can we stop this okay well we can at least give the people who look like us some privilege we can give the people who look like us these radical ideas that they're better than other people we can give the people who look like us we can instill xenophobia and fear in them and they created a system to keep themselves insular and protected. And that's still the case. That is still the case. It didn't go anywhere. But, you know, we're fighting all these other isms because they're, they're more up front. They're, they're, they're every day. They're, they're in our lives. And, 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 you know, it's hard. It's hard to unite with someone who you feel doesn't respect you. It's hard to unite, unite with someone who you feel doesn't have your best interest at heart, right? So we were really at a loss here on really trying to to mobilize as the working poor, as the poor, as even like the the, the, the ever so shrinking middle class, right? Um, so I got on like a really big digression here. So I got to actually really take a step back to see where I was coming from. All right. So that that is the war. Um, and, and, and taking away women's rights, you know, taking away um, non-binary rights, taking away the rights of people with vulvas and ovaries and who can reproduce, it only perpetuates that initial mission to protect the rich, to protect the wealthy. That's what this comes down to. You cannot have systems of privilege without having systems of oppression. And it's the only way that it works. So, what can we do with this? What can we do? All right. Um, so, so, so lower hanging fruit, because yeah, we want to abolish capitalism. No, that's not going to happen tomorrow. You know, we got to do the dreaming. We got to do the planning. We got to do the, the community organizing and the conversations with friends, right? We have to do that work. So here is some more low hanging fruit that we can do now. First and foremost, let's make time in our everyday lives to dream, to create, to imagine, and I don't mean you're like, Jazz, shut the fuck up, I got stuff to do. <laughs> I feel you, I do too, all right? And, and and so it's not like you got it, you get out, you don't have to get out the incense and the meditation cushions and like all the art supplies, but you know what? Maybe when you're sitting at a red light, you ask yourself, what's one revolutionary thing that could be done? You know, maybe when you are waiting in line at the grocery store, if you're like me and you hate self-checkout, so you wait in line for that one cashier. <laughs> so you're there for a while. You know, maybe you start thinking about the society that you want to live in. Maybe you start thinking about what equity might look like in your community. Maybe you start looking like, thinking about what access would look like in your state. Maybe you start thinking about how to protect the, the unequivocal, I'm not gonna start, I'm gonna stop saying words I don't know. <laughs> How do we protect the rights of everybody? 
you know how do we do that all right so just taking you know 30 seconds two minutes maybe you're fixing dinner and maybe instead of you know listening to the news maybe you spend that time and imagine try it so that's one we could do that low-hanging fruit two well what's imagination without sharing your ideas who where is your community talk to each other about these ideas non-judgmentally with kindness with respect maybe just even with opening ears with curiosity we need to listen and it might not even be time yet to start to critique all right so when we create ideas there's always a brainstorming phase and in the brainstorming phase you just throw paint on the wall you throw ideas out there is nothing too crazy there is nothing wrong they are just ideas there's another phase where we can start to get realistic and we can start to strategize but that's not the beginning so know where we're at all right so reach out to your community and just talk to each other share your ideas i encourage within that sharing of ideas to discuss what you want your individual states to look like so there's no debates well i mean there's plenty of debate but <laughs> but like in my mind in my mind's eye what is very clear is that the constitution does not work okay yeah it was a constitution like yeah it was the founding document and we need a new one period all right but to get to that federal level we need to start at the state level so let's start radicalizing, let's start restructuring, let's create new state constitutions. Let's start talking to each other about what that'll look like. From there, we can fund and support the people who are being harmed. So I'm gonna give you a number, uh, maybe three, three ways in which you can put your money where your mouth is. If you have it and if you don't don't feel bad about that all right um i personally am not donating it to any abortion funds at this time because i ain't got it like that in this moment but when i do i'm there for y'all all right so this is my labor of love to put some information out there um so maybe that's your labor of love to each one teach one to share you know maybe it's your labor of love to protest and you know go physically stand in solidarity that's fine too all right so this isn't any shaming of like oh you didn't donate but if you have it and you don't donate i am side-eyeing you side-eyeing side-eyeing you yeah that's what i'm doing cool all right <laughs> um oh but you know what actually before funding i i forgot a step i forgot a step so um when it comes to agency and this is something i had to really sit with myself over like the last week um so i have not been on any sort of birth control contraceptive for the last couple of years um gosh i got on birth control when i was what 14 and pretty much with the exclusion of like a couple very small breaks i stayed on birth control until what age 29 uh something like that or 28 something like that i think i was 29 but anyway that's not the point <laughs> um so i i stayed on birth control for over a decade and so i was just like all right let me just like give my body a little break and i've honestly really liked it i've learned so much about me and like just my energy levels and like what's going on in my body and I learned so much about my ventral cycle outside of the actual period and that bleed you have a whole cycle and things in your body change throughout the month um so that has been a, a such a profound um experience for me 
and I, I had no intention of getting back on birth control, um, not in a committed way. I was looking at some other um, very acute options. And long story short, I decided that, you know, while I don't want to get on birth control, <laughs> I don't want to have a kid. That's my reality, at least in this moment. And what I do know when I look and weigh the harm, you know, of you know, using birth control to my knowledge, right? Because I don't know all the studies or the long uh, longitudinal impacts of that, right? Um, but to my knowledge, the the harm of using birth control outweigh or does not outweigh the harm of having a child that I am not enthusiastic about having. Having a child when it's not a hell yes, let's have her. <laughs> I said that guy said like her him, her him, let's have them. Um, that's a no. That's a no when you're talking about bringing and caring for life in this world. And so um, I had to sit with my feels and um, just feel, um, I, I, I can't even, I don't know the word for this right now. Um, I don't know what, I guess powerless. Yeah, like I felt powerless. Um, I felt um, obviously wronged uh, in a way betrayed. Lots, lots of messy, lots of big emotions to really shift through. And I'm just like, I, I, I'm so much into autonomy. I'm very much into autonomy. Um, and first house sun vibes. Um, and like, to have that taken away from me is infuriating. Um, but at the end of the day, I want to make decisions to the best of my ability that do not put others at harm and so for me the agency I have while I do this other work of dreaming imagining um advocating I also need to take practical solutions um yeah to 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 be an agency over my life so I decided to get back on birth control and so can you if you feel like that is best for you um so if you have difficulty accessing birth control um put this in the show links i'll put all of these in the show links uh, but power to decide is a national organization that is um that supports reproductive rights and helps women get access to birth control um so they have a really cool excuse me i have a really cool um health center finder so they can help you find clinics in your area through this website uh, again i will tag that in the show notes but they also have other really cool information on just like um birth contraceptive uh deserts uh birth control 101 things that you can learn if you need some education around birth control um and what i think is super awesome um, is that they have consultation services for organizations on how to make their plans uh, comprehensive and how the organizations can help to support this mission of access to choice and birth control. Um, so, you know, if you are an entrepreneur, if you are a corporation and you truly believe in transformative justice outside of a PR stunt, this is a wonderful organization to see, to help you, um, to help you make sure that those things are, um, coming to fruition, that you are actually, um, putting in the work in the 3d realm okay um so though that's that's that was my uh last bill before funding 
silver funding. Um, first we have Sister Song, which is a women of color reproductive justice collective. So, uh, Sister Song, I don't think that I'm going to read you their mission. Do I want to do that? Yeah, so what is reproductive justice? Sister Song def defines reproductive justice as a human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. All right, so you can donate to Sister Song. You can donate to their birth justice care fund. Um, to my knowledge, it is not an abortion specific fund. I don't know if they will use any of these funds for abortion but let's remember that that's only one part of the reproductive justice battle right so there will be women who have babies who don't want to at this point right um you know there will be already there's already women who have babies who may be in challenging situations and just need help right um so this relief fund is intended for black and other birthing people of color especially queer gender non-conforming and trans folks in support in need of support during their pregnancy and within one year postpartum right so you can donate to that fund you can also just donate to sister song as an organization as a whole on the donation page again they do suffer abortion but when i click the abortion link it actually shows me their events and not specifically things related to abortion at this moment you know tech stuff happens right um and then next we have Indigenous Women Rising. Uh, so this is an abortion fund. It's open to all Indigenous people in the United States and Canada who have the capacity to become pregnant and or seeking an abortion in the United States. Uh, so this fund, they are serving Indigenous people and undocumented people nationwide. Lastly, I will leave you with abortionfunds.org. So this abortion fund helps people get the abortions they want and need. Um, and it is a national fund. So throughout the entire country, here's their mission. Um, the National Network of Abortion Funds builds power with members to remove financial and logistical barriers to abortion access by centering people who have abortions and organizing at the intersections of racial, economic, and reproductive justice. Ashe, ashe. All right, so you can donate to them. It's super easy. All of these are super easy. You can just click the link in the show notes. You can sign in with your Google Pay, your Venmo, your PayPal. Say what you want. You can do a one-time donation. You can do a recurring donation. Um, but I just want to thank you um, if you made it here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. And let's get out there and imagine, y'all. Let's transform the world through through creativity, through play, through love, through equity. I'll talk to you later.